0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Yeah Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee.
2: BioAnno Power provides the highest performance lithium-ion phosphate batteries for the marine market. These batteries are one quarter the weight of sealed lead acid batteries, provide over 2,000 to 3,000 charge cycles, and a 10-plus year service life. These batteries can be used for any deep cycle application, including running fish finders, trolling motors, live wells, and LED lights. For more information, visit bioanopower.com. That's B-I-O-N-O. E-N-N-O-P-O-W-E-R dot com or contact dealers nationwide. Welcome to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. This is the Final Cast segment with your hosts Brad Hicks and Josh Eldridge,
3: where we cast our final opinion on all products good and bad. Welcome to the Final Cast. You're listening to the Pet uh, Final cast on the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brad.
2: I'm Josh, aka Photon Blaster. <laughs> this is the All benefits right. of having a five year old and a three year old. <laughs> I love it.
3: I was wondering what Photon Blaster meant, so now I know. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got we got a uh, awesome guest for you guys this episode. It's uh, Michael Teach. How you doing, Michael?
4: I'm doing fine. You could just uh, you just call me Mike.
3: All right sounds good so uh let's start off the show by uh letting letting the listeners know who you are and uh what you do
4: well i i, I fish for smallmouth bass ba- basically uh, <laughs> i uh I'm also a writer I write for the boundary waters journal um i uh I do volunteer work at the uh Bethany Center in piqua i help people uh eat and um Basically, I'm just right now waiting for the river to go down so I can go fishing again.
3: Yeah, same same here. (laughs) I tried getting out last weekend, then I saw the levels were just blown out. I was like,
2: "Man, this stinks." (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, man, I got the itch. I got the itch too. It's uh, been—I finally had a little bit of free time last weekend, and I was like, "Nope, it's not happening." But it is what it is, right? Yeah. Lakes got ice on them.
3: Rivers are flooded. It's no good. (laughs) <laughs> ponds are open oh are they well the one i fished at today was oh okay nice did you catch anything today
4: i caught a largemouth on the first cast and then uh nothing else after that uh had one other one on i couldn't tell what it what it was it was it was so small it probably was just holding onto the back of the lure and i was using a zulu or a Z man chads and uh, it fell off at the halfway in so i never even got to see it could have been a crappie i'm not sure but Mm -hmm. it was a the first fish first cast uh jinx
2: (laughs) 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 you're like ah, this is either gonna be great spectacular or awful right
4: yeah you just never know and the pond had a lot of weeds in it too that all the grass carp (laughs) are gone out of that pond so they just Mm. build up really quick that's the only reason i went there today is because it was still early here in a few more weeks you can't even throw a lure in there without it being covered in green moss wow yeah.
3: that's crazy well you mentioned the uh zulu rig and I, I know josh wanted to hit on this so let's talk about that yeah well,
4: well basically it's uh it's a z-man shads uh five inch scented soft plastic jerk uh jerk bait it's uh made out of elastic um uh, they're also made by, well, they're sold by Strike King. They're called Z2s, but it's basically the same, same exact lure. They're all made by Z-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, really very durable plastic. I can catch up to 100 smallmouth on one lure. You know, and you just don't hear that on, with soft plastics. And Basically, once the nose and the back get worn down, I just put a little drop of uh, superglue on there, and I can get another, you know, 40 or 50 fish out of it. Yeah. But basically, I, I use a, a small uh, Gamagatsu one aught offset worm hook on it. A lot of people think it's too small, but it runs fl- flush with the, uh, the lure the whole time. So it's practically invisible to the fish or to anybody with just the hook just riding onto its back. So it's, it's weedless. And then mm-hmm. I put on about 10 inches of line leader. I use, I use a mono. I use 10-pound uh, Trilene XL. And then I tie it off to a quality uh, ball-bearing swivel. Uh, Usually I use spro swivels, but uh, it's best to have a good ball-bearing swivel on there because of Mm -hmm. the line twist, and also the swivel helps take the lure uh, below subsurface and so that it's not riding up there, and it also alleviates those nasty line twists. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the rig right there.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of it's similar to it's like a s- single what is it? I think it's called a donkey rig where they use two two flukes like that.
4: Yeah, yeah, it, they'll call it a double Zulu rig or a donkey rig, but uh,
2: okay,
4: I only use one. It just it's, sometimes it just gets a little too messy messing around with two lures, and I seem to do just fine with one.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> meant to try that. So like, there was a hundred times last year that I'm like, I'm going to throw it, I'm going to throw it, and then. I ended up fishing lakes mainly. And I was like, I, I, you know, I just kept kind of going off of what everybody said, but I've been meaning dying to try this lore because I got some good smallmouth spots that produce that I know got some good fish in it. And I'm like, mm. I'm, I'm really into throwing weedless pr- presentations a lot of times. And I've been reading for three years about you and this setup. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, been following you Mike and been laughing. Cause of how many times somebody asked you about it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to ask this poor guy how to do this, this rig. I'm just, you've got so much information you've given it to people. It's hilarious that you keep getting asked. Cause it's like, if you guys just follow Mike a little bit, he posts this link to how to build the, the rig at least like 50 times a year. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I
4: have, I have pictures online. I just got tired of people, you know, asking me to send them pictures or whatever i finally put it on a a thread on uh, bwca.com if you ever if you google zulu rigging and go to bwca.com you will see a set of like seven step pictures that you can click on one by one and, and enlarge the pictures and uh follow the just the look of it and it's it's a very simple setup
2: Yeah. And I I like, I like the fact that you added that, that swivel because that's my, one of my biggest gripes and throwing it, you know, weightless like that on spinning gear. And all you end up doing is fighting line twists the whole time. So that's a great addition to a, you know, a fairly simple, simple rig, very weedless rig, a great presentation, especially for smallmouth fishing. Well, they they love
4: hitting that thing on the top water. when, you know the first time I used it was back in two thousand and six, and I didn't have any swivels with me. I didn't even know what I had. You know, I just pulled. You know, I watched Van Dam, Kevin Van Dam, slam some uh, big smallmouth using this lure. And so I'm like, you know, I threw a package of them. You know, I had four you know Zulus with me in my bag, and I took them up to uh, Quetico Provincial Park with me, and and I decided one day, hey, I'm just going to give these things a shot and try. You know put one on a, uh, one knot worm hook and toss it out in the middle of this stream. And they just start slamming it right away. It was just yeah. crazy. So I was like, wow. So I stuck with it, but the, but by the end of the trip, my line was just so twisted up and nasty. I'm like, I got to do something about this. I'm like, I'm going to have to try, you know, using a swivel or something. And so that's where that all started. <laughs>
2: And then what size of swivel are you using? Cause I, I think I remember you pointing that out specifically cause it, you said that it helps create that subsurface, um, you know, the presentation as opposed to, cause I know, especially if you're using like zoom flukes, they like to ride right at the top a lot of times and it's, it takes a while to get them down. Um, what size of uh swivel are you using to kind of get that subsurface effect?
4: Well, it depends on how far you want it to go, but, uh, I've been pretty partial to the size four recently. It takes it down sometimes, you know, a foot and a half to two feet. It's a slow sinking uh, mm-hmm. lure. And I'm, I mean, it's just a little twitch and it just sort of just pauses it level, you know, and fish eat that thing up. It's it's just incredible. I've never used a, a bait like that for smallmouth before until 2006. And I got, I wish I would have known about this presentation, you know. 20 or 30 years ago would have saved me a, a lot more uh time and searching for for the, for the ultimate lure so far it's a, it's the best thing i've ever thrown for smallmouth
1: boat trader america's largest boating marketplace offering easy financing and over one hundred thousand boat listings to choose from sell find and finance new or used boats
0: on america's largest boating marketplace visit com to get started <laughs> yeah
3: you always hear everybody throwing flukes and stuff like that never on a zulu rig but i've heard like a bunch of different like unique presentations of the fluke and i'm like man i need to try that throw it behind like some big rock or something like that somewhere it has like calm water yeah
4: well Gussie on the um uh, the bass masters this last weekend won with a four inch z-man uh shads and he was mm-hmm. the only one catching smallmouth um and he he won the whole tournament just catching smallmouth and he was using it more or less with a uh lead headed jig and, and just dropping it vertically straight down and, and just sort of slow trolling it and just sort of like ice fishing it really slow <laughs> in some deep holes. And that's how he uh he won the tournament this last weekend.
2: Nice.
3: That's awesome.
2: <laughs> Better take note, Brad, for Dale Hollow. All I know, man.
3: <laughs> I've I've actually never thrown a fluke or any well, I take that back. I've thrown the caffeine shad and I've caught an I caught a fish on that. But i've never been consistent with
2: it one of my best days at kaiser lake was actually on the caffeine shad the kvd ones Mm -hmm. um we caught like 50 or 60 largemouth right off the that you know where the campsites are on against the on the water right there and it's Mm -hmm. got that little dirt peninsula where the creek flows in we were straight out from there dude and um we tore it up man like right in the evening time just throwing caffeine shad like I walked out like maybe 10 yards out in the water and we just lit it up, man. I mean, we went through probably like 20 or 30 of them in a matter of like three or four hours.
4: (laughs) See, that's the thing. I can only, I could just use one of those uh, Zulus. That's why I I hate when people say they use flukes and I'm like, why would you use a zoom fluke if you could use a Z-Man Shads where you could catch a hundred instead of 10?
2: Right. Right. I mean, and even and they're a little bit more pricey, but when in the long run, you're, your a pack of them is lasting for a season, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to like I said, using a caffeine shad and going through like twenty, thirty, forty baits like in no time. Like you know, every time one of those. It, uh, now, mind you, we were getting a lot of a uh, tear throughs on the nose, Mike. Like you were saying, you know, a little bit of super glue could have probably fixed that. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, the durability of Z-Man, their products is just unmatched right now, and yep. so and
4: they get better as they get used. I mean the more they get used the the more uh the better they they look and, and act in the water.
3: Mhm. Yeah, the it, same goes with the uh TRD Ned rig and everything. It, just the softer they get after getting bit so many times, they just sway back and forth real nice. Yeah. But mm, I forgot what I was going to
2: say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, I wanted to uh, um You've got a handle, and I think it's is it maybe your Instagram. It's Quetico Mike. you want to explain where you can get that name from? Well, I get the, uh,
4: the Quetico part from um, the provincial park I go to up in Canada. It's uh, right above uh, Minnesota. If you go up towards like – it's like halfway in between International Falls and uh, Thunder Bay on the Canada side. And uh, Mike is obviously my first name.
3: That uh that Quetico area, uh, boundary waters and all that stuff it, is that probably your favorite area to fish for smallmouth anywhere?
4: Oh yeah, it's it's God's country up there. It's it's the most beautiful place in the world. Well, pretty much. I mean, to me, it is. But I mean, the only place I've ever seen that even looks better, maybe is maybe Glacier National Park in uh, Montana. But uh, mm-hmm. as far as the smallmouth
3: fishing, it's just unreal up there. It's a bucket list spot for me.
2: I'd love to get up there someday. What's the biggest smallmouth you pulled from up there? Uh, 23 inches. Nice. Wow. <laughs> did, you, did you get to weigh it?
4: No, I didn't have a scale. I just, you know, quick measurement picture mm-hmm. back in the water it went.
2: And it Are was, you, it, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. No, you're all right. Go ahead.
4: I, I was just going to say it, it, we were fishing some uh, gravelly, uh, I guess it's some – some spawning areas, but they weren't coming in to spawn just yet. You know, the, the females were out there cruising around the, uh, the outer edges, probably eight or 10 feet. And we were sitting practically right on the bank in the canoe. And, uh, I hooked into this thing and it, it pulled the canoe out probably about 10 or 15 yards, just right off. I mean, there's we two guys in a canoe and pulled us right off the shoreline.
2: Mm. <laughs> That's
3: crazy. See, that's the thing I love about kayaks and canoes and stuff, man. You just, you get taken for a ride when you look into a big fish. It's awesome. It's Uh, probably,
4: it's probably easier to land a fish that way or tire it out more than being stationary somewhere.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of boundary waters, how how easy is it to carry a uh, kayak out, out there if somebody were to go?
4: not not easy that's why it's called the boundary waters canoe area and not the boundary waters kayak area
3: <laughs> but I uh, you.
4: I've, I've you know i've seen some some kayaks in, in, you know around the the edges of the boundary waters but you know mm-hmm. once you if you went deep on in i mean you have to carry those things for miles and you know and you have to have all your supplies you got to carry with yourself you know too and so i've never kayaked up there you know i don't see a whole lot of people kayaking up there but you do see some around the edges but to get deep into the woods it's it's easier just to go with another person well actually you can do it take a solo canoe too i've seen several Mm -hmm. solo canoes out there but but, uh the best mode of transportation is definitely uh, a two-man you know tandem canoe i mean Mm -hmm. when you have two backpacks a food pack uh you know all your fishing gear, whatever, you know, it's just, it's nice to have all that room to be able to carry all that stuff with you when you travel 30 or 40 miles.
2: Right.
3: Nah, that's crazy. I didn't realize it was that far through the woods. Yeah, well, man, you ain't, you ain't taking a
2: fully rigged Hobie out there.
3: Oh, <laughs> well, I knew that. I was just saying, you know, maybe for, like a 50-pound, 60-pound kayak or something, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Now, you
4: could you could get to some of the bigger lakes along the, uh, the border, you know, and, and just, mm-hmm. you could kayak all through there and not have to carry the, the kayak more than a few times. And you might be into doing, you know, well there, but, uh, if you want to get deep into the woods, it's probably best that you take a canoe. I mean, like our standard trip up into Quetico, we would try to do like 25 some miles the first day. And get most of that out of the way and then do another ten miles the next day and then set up camp and stay there on some remote lake all to yourself for like a week. Mm-hmm. You know, and then work your way back down later. I mean we have a little lake up there we like to hit up and uh we catch a ton of you know the two and a half at three and a half pound smallmouth. And I mean you catch <laughs> so many you're you're you have to put something over your thumb because your thumbs are bleeding from you know, <laughs> lipping so many smallmouths.
0: <laughs> and awesome. then you
4: work your way you work your way back down to some of the bigger lakes along the border and that's where you're going to find your trophy fish you're not going to catch as many fish but mm-hmm. you can catch a trophy fish i mean i've caught my four biggest fish out of one lake up there and it's it's a border lake it's on the canadian side but uh a 45 inch northern a 23 inch wow. Smallmouth, a thirty-two-inch walleye, all came out of the same uh, the same bay.
2: That's awesome. So well, I, I, or have you been itching to get back because of the whole COVID thing and the border being shut down?
4: Uh, I can't. I can't go into details of how bad it hurts not to be able to go this uh, <laughs> last year and and then this year. You know, it's pretty much. <clears throat> it's not going to happen this year either. I doubt. I mean, to enter into Canada, I had to get a remote area border crossing permit so I could get into Quetico Provincial Park. And they called me up this year because last year I already paid for my remote area border crossing permit that I could not use. It's mm-hmm. basically going through the woods without having to go through customs. Right. So, so you, you fill out the paperwork and then each year they, they send you a, a, a permit that you could pass through the woods in between international falls and uh, thunder bay and, and you could cross anywhere out in the woods that way if you had this piece of paper with you but uh they revoked them for uh, this year they just said they would just send me my refund from last year and that chances are well they pretty much said it wasn't going to happen this year so
3: mm. i don't know
4: i'm i'm, I'm hoping that it'll end up uh, opening up uh, next year I'm, i mean i'm sure they're probably going to want everybody to have vaccinations to get across the border now too so right. you'll probably need vast vac- vaccination paperwork along with some type of you know remote area border crossing permit and then your camping permit and then your fishing license and then you also have to have an, an outdoor card now to get your fishing license so i mean there is some paperwork that you have to go through but uh once you know once you get used to going through all that it's pretty easy
3: yeah. Mm. That's crazy. I, I that never but even on, crossed my mind
4: on the, on the boundary water side. I mean, i that's where I'm, I'm going to go up and spend a couple weeks up there uh, this year, at least a couple weeks. I mean, the first trip is going to be two weeks. Um, I'm going to probably do another trip for at least another week by myself. I usually go on a, a solo trip out in the woods by myself uh, each year for seven or eight days. But yeah, uh, mm. Um, the permits for the, for there are easy pretty easy to come by. I mean a lot of the good entry points go quickly at the beginning of the year, but i the the area that I go to has you know like 14 uh, entries, you know 14 groups a day that can allow go through there so there's there's usually an extra permit available for me when I need one as long as I don't have to you know go in on a Friday or Saturday. Yeah. And right. it's, it's a lot cheaper on the American side. It's only like $26 to camp for as long as you want wow. on the, uh, yeah. And on the Canadian side, it's, uh, like $22 a day or night Ooh. or whatever, however Ooh. you want to put it. So yeah, there's, there's a little difference and that's probably why you, there's less people over there and maybe that's why the fishing's a, a tad better too.
3: Yeah. yeah. They probably got better regulations than we do here also. <laughs> yeah there's, there's
4: there's no live bait allowed in quetico and no barbs on your hooks allowed there either
2: mm,
3: yeah i gotcha
2: does so, that make it a little bit harder to hook in the fish
3: without the barbs
2: yeah or at least keep them pinned
4: yeah it's it, it makes it a little more challenging that's for sure you, you know you've seen a smallmouth come flying out of the water before
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah oh
4: yeah
3: <laughs> i love it <laughs> So when I think of smallmouth fishing, I think of deep lakes. What what are these lakes up there deep? What kind of what, like what? What's the oh yeah?
4: There, the, there's one lake that we travel up, like I do on my first dates. I'll um, say it's like 14 or 15 miles long, and mm-hmm. it's probably about 400 feet deep at wow. its deepest point. I, yeah, the water's very cold there in May. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Mean, I, I've actually seen, uh, like snow and ice on the, what would that be? Be heading north on the east side of the, of the lake. As I'm traveling up the lake, there's still be like frozen waterfalls and snow piled up along the edges over there. And, and if you needed a cold drink, all you do is just dip your cup over the side of the canoe and drink.
3: (laughs) The water's that clean.
4: Yeah. That clean and that cold. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, has some of the cleanest lakes in North America. That's for sure.
3: I believe it. There's nobody around to pollute it. <laughs> no. It's not like the great Miami.
4: <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd ever drink out of the great Miami unless I had a really good filter. <laughs> Me too. <either.
2: laughs> uh, that's disgusting. <laughs> now, uh, Mike, what for anybody who's interested in taking a trip like this, um, what are some of the most important things that you think that somebody needs to make sure that they're pack, you know, they're packing for a trip like this?
4: Uh, for a trip to Quetico,
2: yeah, or the Boundary Waters, where you're going to spend some yeah. time out out in the wilderness like that.
4: What what all is involved with the gear wise?
2: Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Like some of the most important things that people need to consider outside their fishing stuff? A tent.
4: a good quality tent and uh rain gear is worth a million dollars out there.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You have to have quality rain gear. I've seen too many people go through cheap rain gear and just be miserable. I've been miserable out there before where I, you know, I'd spend a million dollars for a good rain suit at certain times when you're just getting poured on. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I got back from one trip after about freezing to death and, and getting rained on, I, I opened up the, the uh, Cabela's catalog and, picked out the most expensive rain suit there was in there and bought it. Uh, it, was, it was worth the price of gold. And
2: hmm.
4: it was a quality rain suit that I used for like 15 years. And I just finally got a, a, a new one, but yeah, a rain suits key, you know, you're looking at getting some type of stove, you know, propane stoves. I mean, you can cook on fires up there if there's not a fire ban. but you, it's, it's easier and cleaner to cook on a, like a little propane stove. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at like water filters like i mentioned earlier you'd want to you want a water filter you, because a lot of times you'll be getting water from the edges of the shoreline and unless you're going out in the middle of the lakes and and, and scooping up water if you need to get water close to shore or whatever i mean there are beaver around and you get giardia the the disease from mm-hmm. a beaver fever whatever you want to call it and you don't want to get any of that so you want to kill off all of that uh all this nasty bacteria and, and whatever else is floating around in the water there along the edges. But, uh, um, let's see tent sleeping bag, sleeping pad, uh, waterproof, uh, stuff bag for your clothes and waterproof mm-hmm. stuff bag for your sleeping bag. You want everything to be waterproof and then a good quality food pack. I got an insulated food pack and, uh, it's got a zipper on the top. It's it's best to have a zipper on top there because you never know what kind of animals like to get into your food. I've lost too many too many uh, trail mix and snacks where little chipmunks or squirrels or whatever. It's it's not the big bears that get you. It's the little bears that get inside your food pack <laughs> or mice or whatever. Yeah. So now everything is is in Tupperware inside baggies inside Tupperware and then the Tupperware is inside the food pack. So. It, I mean, there's this, a whole list of, of things, and I mean, you can find the stuff online of what's required or what you should what you should take along, but yeah. uh, that's some of the things.
2: Heck yeah. You ever
3: have any encounters with a, a bear or anything while you're out there?
4: Yeah, a couple of years ago, I had one walk right through my camp while I was up there by myself. I was underneath the tarp, and uh, I was just finishing eating lunch, and I was walking towards the lake with my uh with my pail or my whatever you want to call it uh, from what i was just eating out of and i walk past my tent and i look over the side and i can see the back end of a bear just right behind my tent he just because my the back of my tent is so close to, uh, to the lake where they could just crawl up um he just came right up off out of the lake and walked right up in the camp and he was sitting right behind my tent and i was like oh no, i knew what that was and, so I started to head back towards my tarp because I had my food pack under there. And I got around, by the time I got around to the other side of the tent, I could see him staring at me. And he's probably about 15 feet away. Mm. I picked up the food pack and walked briskly towards the canoe because I figured if anything was going to happen, I was going to whip that food pack into the canoe and take off paddling and get the hell out of there. Yeah. But, uh, so I got the food pack down to the, to the canoe and got it in there. And then I went back up, grabbed my paddle and went back into camp to see what that bear was doing. And he was underneath my tarp right where I was just eating just, you know, five minutes ago. He was just had his nose up into the top of the tarp, just sniffing away, just smelling whatever I was cooking. And, you know, I started yelling at him, you know, like 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 I was yelling at a dog, you know, I was yelling at him to get, you know, waving my (laughs) paddle around like I was going to take him on with my paddle. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, he really didn't care about me. Didn't he, you know, he just moseyed around and finally he just, uh, took off, uh, down the trail back behind the back of the side of the camp back towards, a. Uh, on Well, on the American side, they have a, a, a fiberglass, uh, toilet back there. Um, mm-hmm. on the Canadian side, you have to dig your own little holes when you got to go, but That's one good thing about uh, the American campsites. They always have a uh, fiberglass uh, crapper back behind camp, which is kind of convenient.
3: And so anyways,
4: he went, he went down the crapper trail.
3: (laughs) Oh crap.
4: (laughs) Yeah. And the bad thing was about 10 minutes after that, I had to use the facilities and I had to figure, (laughs) was I going to paddle to another campsite somewhere or go back there and, and take care of my business and, yeah. I, ended up wa- of- I ended up- yeah. I ended up He's walking back the there. To- yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, yeah, that's that's funny. one of my bear stories. I've had I've had several encounters.
3: That's funny. You had to dig your own hole on the <laughs> on the United States side. <laughs> <laughs> like I buried, no, you dig I your buried, buried my Canadian underwear side. too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what was that? I buried I said, my underwear.
2: <laughs> go ahead mike i'm sorry uh, oh that's
4: all right I, I was just gonna say that you have to dig holes on the canadian side and the american side they have the fiberglass crappers so that's, <laughs> that's but funny. uh the, the uh on the canadian side you can camp wherever you want but i mean there's mostly established campsites around but uh there's no fire grate or anything the american side has a fire grate and they have the crapper and that's that's the difference. Be- and they're established campsites where you can only camp there. You can't just camp wherever you want. But over on the Canadian side, if you need to camp somewhere and you can put a tent down, you can, you can camp there.
3: Yeah. Cool, man. I, uh, I think I want to get into this next segment. Cause this is what I, I, I kind of f- uh, found out who you were through your, your writing. And I don't remember who published it for you or not, but uh you wrote a story about your uh experience up at the boundary waters during 9/11, and while i read this story i, I just got chills i thought it was one of the coolest stories i've ever read so let's go into that a bit little bit let's just uh just share the story if you will
4: well this, this story will be published this year in the uh the fall edition of the boundary waters journal the uh, magazine i write for it's the 20th year uh, anniversary of 9-11, and uh, basically it's the uh, the story about my first solo trip up into uh, Canada. I was supposed to go with somebody else, and they they backed out on me the, uh, the night before I was leaving. So I had like 14 hours before I was leaving, and the guy backs out on me,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and, you know, and I'm like, well, what am I going to do, you know? And the guy says, well, you should just cancel. You've been up there enough times. You don't need to go again. And I'm like, he didn't understand it. You know, he, just, he doesn't understand you know, how much I love going to Quetico, so I just ended up just packing everything up and taking my canoe up there, and I just went on the trip by myself, and so I went up there. It's, I think I went in on nine of 01 and went out there and, and basically uh, set up camp by myself, you know, and I probably went about seven or eight miles deep into the woods and Ended up staying there the whole time because the fishing was fantastic. But uh, you know, I was killing the smallmouth just on the other side of this island I was staying at on topwater, throwing big lucky thirteens. They're like a big popper chugger bait and a bullfrog color, and they were just slamming that off the off the surface. I also caught the biggest pike in my life at, during that trip. Uh, caught a forty-three inch northern pike uh, on the point. The only, the only problem was is that I ran out of film taking pictures of smallmouth. And this was back in the day when you had disposable cameras, you know, this, mm-hmm. there's no digitals, uh, you know, taking pictures with your phone or whatever. This was just a plastic camera. And uh, I ran out of film and I ended up catching this 43 inch pike and there. I am standing there with this 43 inch pike, nobody around to see it. No, No, no camera to take a picture of it. And it's,
3: mm-hmm.
4: I mean, it was great catching it, but it, I mean, all I could do is just tell stories. I don't have any pictures or anything of it now. But,
3: hey, anyways, we, uh, we so, go ahead. We believe you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we. So have you uh, seen your pictures? I believe it. <laughs> all right.
4: So, so I'm out there, and I I stay on that island for like five days, and then I move further back, closer to the border, and and uh, like on the. It must have been. I ran into some people. Actually, 9:11 was the day I caught that 43-inch pike, you know. And there's no news feed out there, and I'm not seeing anybody. You know, I've I talked to a couple people, and they they probably had no idea that 9:11 happened either. But uh, the second to last day on it was like on 9:14, I ran across some people who were coming into the park as I was working my way back towards the border, and it must have been their first trip in because they were all giddy about being able to carry all their stuff across that first trail and they never once mentioned anything about 9-11, so I still didn't know anything about it, and I was paddling in on the uh, the last morning, and uh, it was a really hazy, you know, foggy morning, barely see when I got to the border, and one side's Canada, one side's America, and both the flags are flying at half mass, and I'm like, wow, somebody important must really, you know, must have died, you know, to have mm-hmm. both, both sides of the border flying their flags at half mass, and so I, I, carry my stuff up the trail to the, uh, to the, the American side of the border and I'm waiting on a towboat, uh, from the outfitter to come pick me up and tow me back about 15 miles back to the outfitters. So I can get my car, take a shower, whatever, and go home. And while I'm standing there, there's some kid from Wisconsin there and his father just went down to the, to the ranger station to get his permits and, um, he starts talking to me about fishing, you know, asking me questions about fishing. And then he just sort of stops me in the middle of the sentence. And he goes, because you don't know what's going on in the world, do you? And I'm like, no, what's going on? And he goes, he goes, there's there's a plane that flew into the the World Trade Center. And I'm like, "I'm like, wow, I said, I said did anybody get hurt? And he goes, he, he just looks at me, he goes, you don't understand. He goes, the whole, the whole trade center is gone. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, and another plane flew into the other t- the World Trade Center. And, and it's gone now too. I'm like, oh, God, you know, I'm I'm freaking out. I'm like, what are you, th-? you know, and then he goes, another one hit the Pentagon. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, hmm. and then he goes, yeah, and one more was headed towards the White House, but it crashed in a, in a field in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell happened to this world? And I had no idea what was going on. You know, mm-hmm. this is 915. This happened four days ago and I had no idea that 9-11 happened. And I used to tell people when we we're out there in the woods, I go, World War Three could Good start up, and we'd have no idea why we're out here. I have no idea, right. and, and so I didn't find out about nine eleven until nine fifteen from some kid from Wisconsin who was standing on the border with me talking about fishing. And then I got back to the outfitters, and there's a couple guys from Cincinnati there, and they were trying to figure out how they were going to get back because they flew up there, and mm. all you know, all the planes were were not flying. You know, they're all canceled. I I offered to give them both a ride back to back to Ohio. I'm like, you know, complete strangers, but you know, they're complete strangers to me too. And I'm like, yeah, throw your stuff in my truck. Let's go. And then they, they declined. They said, no, we're just going to end up renting a car, I guess. And then they are going to travel home. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, I was just willing to help out, give you a thousand mile lift home. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's yeah. the story in a nutshell, but if, if you want to read the full story, get a, get a copy of the boundary waters journal, you know, uh, fall edition, I also have another article coming out in, uh, what, in about three weeks. I did an article on uh, wake bait fishing up there. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah that, I just that's... started you. Go ahead. I was going to say I just started using wake baits. Uh, I took one up there with me uh, on my last trip. I never used a wake bait before, but I, you know, the only time I ever seen anybody ever use a wake bait was on TV. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I bought the wake bait was because it had a bigger profile and I thought I could use it as a crankbait in a river. I Hold guess, on yeah. a second. Um, I got a low power mode on my, on my telephone right now. So okay, I'm down well, to 20% on the phone.
3: Okay. But, okay. Yeah. We're, we're probably not going to be much longer. Back to the but... story
4: about the wake bait. I, I, Okay. So, uh, I, I ordered a swake bait to fish in the river because I figured I could use it as a crankbait because if you crank a wake bait hard enough, it'll go down about 18, you know, inches or so. So I, and I'm like, cause I've been using these shallow running, uh, KVD 1.5s, which are nice, but they're not huge. And so I'm just looking for a bigger profile bait. One, you know, that would work in the river. I mean, I'm not fishing more than two or three feet of the river at a time anyway. So I figured I started thinking, you know what, this wake bait might be a great crankbait for me. So I buy that and, and, and I buy a bunch of lures for going up to Quetico and whatnot. And I'm putting all, you know, all the baits into my tackle box. And I looked over at that wake bait and I said, well, I thought to myself, why wait to get back and try that in the river? Why not just throw it? I, you know, I had room in my tackle box, throw it in the tackle box and, you know, maybe give it a try and see what the wake bait is all about. And so, uh, I took it on up there and we started, uh, doing some top water fishing by some waterfalls and, uh. We were catching some fish, but we weren't get, getting, you know, as much action as I would have liked. And so I figured, you know, what the heck I'd give this wake bait a try. And big smallmouth just started slamming it. And four out of five of yeah. the biggest smallmouth that I caught on the last trip. I caught one on a Zulu brig was in the top five. But the top three were, were definitely all on the wake bait. And they were just it was just it was addictive just watching that thing just tantalizingly slow. Reel that thing as slow as you possibly could. And it would just wiggle and make a big wake, and and you could just, and it's so quiet up there, you could hear the rattle from you know, twenty five yards away, you could hear, it, and it sounded like the locomotive, little chug 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 chug, ch- ch- chugging yeah. along, and then <laughs> and then all of a sudden just explosion, just huge yeah. smallmouths. So so yeah, proper. so I so I was like, well, I should write an article about that when I get home. I mean, people, should, you know, <laughs> it's like one of the most overlooked top water that I because I've been overlooking it for 30 years or whatever and I've never seen anybody throw it. So mm-hmm. I mean it was just it worked fantastic. So I'm like when I brought it back I came back uh in September and started fishing the river with it. I started slamming some big smallmouth out of the river with that thing. And I like, I didn't have to use it as a crankbait. They were coming up and just slamming the hell out of it like they were up in Canada. It was it was awesome.
3: Yeah, you're you're a local guy like us. Me and Josh is from Dayton, by the way. Um, there's a local guy that makes wake baits. He hand carves them witty outdoors. I don't know if you've heard of them, but he makes them. they're really nice. They're expensive, but they're really nice. And I want to throw one of those this year.
4: Yeah, I know I know who he is. I've 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 seen some of his videos before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you tried he, have you tried a spy bait yet up there?
4: No, I have not it, man. Do they have like propellers on the front and the back?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There it's kind of looks like, um, a little bit of a thinner profile jerk bait, like a hard jerk bait. And it's got a um, propeller on the front and back. And, um, it's kind of a, it's, I don't want to say it's new. It's not new, but it's kind of gaining a little bit more popularity lately. And I know that, um, there's a lot of guys that have done real well doing spy baits, up but St. Clair and, um, mm-hmm. some of those, um, Areas that, you know, you can, if you're kind of having trouble getting to kind of commit, they don't, they don't, the fish from what I understand, they don't, they're not traveling real far. Like they, you know, to come strike it, like maybe like a crankbait or something, but, um, it's from what I understand, it's a pretty good bait. Maybe give that shot up there and see how you do.
4: It's like a devil's
2: horse, right?
4: You ever use like a devil's wh- horse? Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. <clears throat> It's, it's, maybe you guys aren't old enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh that, that's a lure that had it has two prop baits on it and um it's that it sounds a lot like the spy bait it's just it, it was called a devil's horse
2: yeah so mm.
4: you know google it sometime and but uh, definitely they also um uh, made one with a uh a spook because they're a spook and a bullfrog where they were putting propellers mm-hmm. on the front and back I, I i can't remember what they were calling it but I ended up taking the propeller off the front and just using it like a big, uh, uh, just a single prop bait and, and started yeah. using it that way. Because the Magnum uh, torpedo up there, I've, I've killed on them. And it's basically now everybody's using the whopper ploppers now. But uh, before that, it was always the torpedo. And I, for whatever reason, I, I still do pretty good throwing the torpedoes, the bullfrog torpedoes up there and, and in the river at times.
2: Yeah, I remember using that over at Caesars Creek on the tailwaters and got had one of my funnest days, uh, topwater fishing down there using the uh the torpedo.
3: I'm gonna pull the devil's horse up real quick just for people who are watching. So here it is. Right here. Nice.
2: Yeah, I've seen it, those before.
4: Does it have two two blades on it, propellers or whatever yeah.
2: props? Yep. Yeah, it's it's basically a spy bait. That's probably where spy bait originated from.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean that thing's that thing's been around before I was born, probably. So I mean, it's probably been around for 50 years. So, but yeah, That's now a, they yeah. just they just renamed it. You know, yeah. basically, you know, like a like a like a whopper plopper. All it basically is is a torpedo, except it's it's not a metal blade on the back.
3: You know, right. Yeah. Not a whole lot different. Marketing. It- marketing uh, hype that's what it is <laughs> yeah
4: well all that that's... whopper plopper stuff came from musky fishermen you know that guy uh was you know making those to fish for musky and it, they did, they found out that these big five and six pound smallmouth were hitting these musky baits and i think the mm-hmm. only reason they sell them smaller is because they don't want to intimidate smallmouth fishermen thinking oh my god that's way too big to be yeah. thrown but i mean that's how you catch a monster you throw a monster bait
3: right yeah i know guys that are throwing the uh what is it the 130 plopper on the river and they catch fish with yeah. it. yeah sure so yeah i'm one of those guys i don't really throw the bigger one i throw the 90 or the 110 i think but well i need to I throw the end bigger up get,
4: one i started throwing uh i took up the the seven inch uh streak z which is basically a a seven inch uh z man shads you know but it's just two inches longer, and it you know looks a lot bigger. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna catch monsters with this thing. First fish I catch is probably about a 14 inch smallmouth. You know, <laughs> I'm throwing a seven inch you know uh, soft plastic jerk bait, and I'm thinking I'm I'm going to catch you know a six pound smallmouth, and the first fish it hits, is 14 inches. So, I mean. I mean, I guess if you if you throw out a ten inch one, maybe you get a twenty inch small mouth. You know, who knows?
3: <laughs> That's what I got to do. I haven't broken broke that twenty inch mark yet. Mm. <laughs> cool. I, I think we're gonna wind this down, man. I, I don't want his uh-huh. battery to die on us. So yeah,
4: I got twelve. I got twelve percent. So I mean, you probably got a good <laughs> five minutes if you want to go for it. <laughs>
3: yeah. uh, we'll, we'll not risk it, but right. um, yeah. You got anything else, Josh?
2: Nope. Mike, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us tonight, man. Uh, I look f- forward to following you you know, further into this, man. It's it's fun seeing your pictures that you bring back from the the boundary waters, and I, I wish you success up there this year, man. And sorry I can't get over to Canada yet, but hopefully that'll lift soon. I can
4: see Canada from where we're at. I just can't go over there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to – let people know where they can follow you or where they can find your uh, uh, writing and stuff.
4: Well, um, to find my writing, you know, check out the Boundary Waters Journal. You can find them online at boundarywatersjournal.com. You know, and like I said, I'll have an article about wake bait fishing in the spring and in the fall, you can read about my 9 uh, 11 adventure. So, um, and if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at Quetico Mike. Uh, it's Q U E T I C O M I K E. You know, if you want to see images of uh, some of the bigger smallmouth that I catch up there or in the Great Miami River, go to Quetico Mike and follow me. And, uh, and I guess if you if you just want to Google Quetico Mike, you can find images in, in that manner if you wanted to as well. Awesome.
3: Yeah, highly suggest you guys go follow follow Mike on Instagram. It's one of my favorite. Uh, accounts to follow man I- I'm a big fan it's awesome so we'll end that there man uh thanks again for coming on uh listeners we'll see you guys next week and you guys
1: have a good one Thanks for, having me. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on facebook and instagram shout out to our show supporters angler the angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water shout out to rocktown adventures located in northern illinois for all your kayaking camping and hiking needs shout out to jig masters jigs when in doubt get the jig out go to jigmasters.com Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.